Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the privilege of gathering as your people tonight. Please be with us now by your spirit as we hear you speak. And would you be working in our hearts and our minds, that we might grow in our love for Christ Jesus and our desire to serve him. And we pray that in his name. Amen. I wonder if I was to ask you, who do you think is the biggest pop star in the world today? Uh, My guess would be someone like Justin Bieber, possibly. I'm not commending his music, just acknowledging he's one of the biggest. Um, And just before I went away on holiday, uh, it was being reported that apparently the reason that Justin Bieber cancelled the remainder of his world tour was because he wanted to reconnect with his faith and possibly start a church. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't actually think there was much truth in the rumour, but it makes a great story, doesn't it? Justin Bieber, planting a church. But he wouldn't make the Acts 29 assessment process. Never mind, forget it. (laughs) The the story uh, comes from links with a pastor. Uh, Justin Bieber knows a pastor at a church in Los Angeles, and it's one of these churches that has a reputation for being pretty cool, pretty successful, pretty massive. Uh, It is kind of cool, isn't it, that someone as liked and loved as Justin Bieber uh, might want to attend church. Successful churches seem to attract successful people, or at least that's how it seems. Can you imagine if one Sunday Justin Bieber turned up at St Mary's? Wow, that would be something to tell your mates about on Monday, wouldn't it? What did you get up to at the weekend? Ah, you know, hung out with Bieber. Amazing. That would put us on the map, wouldn't it? St Mary's would be well and truly on the world map. We would be known uh, across the world as a successful church. It would give us some credibility amongst our mates, our friends. These days, I think, success is very much linked to popularity. And it's easy to judge whether a church is successful or not by the same criteria, isn't it? It's a church's popularity. The size of its congregation, its impressive building, the reputation it has in its town or city, or the popularity of its pastor or vicar. Is that what makes a successful church? Some of the young people will head off to university in a few weeks' time and they'll be faced with the challenge of what type of church will they join? I wonder when you first came to St Mary's, what attracted you to this church family. What were you looking for? I suspect that all of us weren't, weren't or wouldn't be too keen to join a church with a failing ministry. We want to be part of something successful. But how do we define success? I wonder how Paul's ministry in Thessalonica would have measured up against today's criteria for success. Wonder whether Paul would have ever attracted the first century equivalent of Justin Bieber. Well, judging by verse 1 of our passage, I, I don't think you'd have come anywhere near. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. The fact that Paul even has to say to the Thessalonians he writes to that his visit wasn't a failure probably suggests that there were people in the church who were saying it was. 
People outside the church saying it was. And to be honest, you can understand why people might have thought that. We get a little bit of backgrounds in verse 2. Paul had been in Philippi, and he'd suffered and been insulted there before he comes to Thessalonica. And the pattern continues. It's possible he was only in Thessalonica for about three weeks before he had to leave in a hurry. And you can read about that in Acts 17. We're told there that the Jews were jealous of the impact that Paul's preaching was having. And so they go to the town square, they round up a few unruly, unsavoury characters, get them to form a mob, and then basically go and tell them to start a riot. And that's what happens. So the new Christians in Thessalonica encourage Paul and Silas to, to move on. It's hardly a successful start, that, is it? Having to slip out under cover of darkness. And you can imagine the hostility that the new, newly converted Christians in Thessalonica would face. And Paul leaves behind a church that was small, fragile, under attack, weak, and not popular. It's not looking particularly successful, is it? And that's why I think Paul, in these next few verses, is going to try and show the Thessalonians, that church, that his ministry to them was not a failure. But here's the question, why do you think Paul needs to do that? Why does he feel the need to do that? It's not because he cared what people think. Just look at verse 4. He says, we are not trying to please men. Or verse 6, we are not looking for praise from men. Paul doesn't care what men think, but he does care, verse 4, immensely what God thinks. So if Paul only cares what God thinks, not what men thinks. Why does he spend most of this chapter trying to justify that his ministry wasn't a failure? Well, I think it's because of this. I think because of what people think of Paul affects what people think of his message. I don't know if you watched the um, 100 metres final last night. That was a bit of a disappointment, wasn't it? You know, we all wanted Usain Bolt to, to win, to claim that final gold medal. And, and who wins it? Justin Gatlin, a convicted drugs cheat. Not once, but twice. And I felt a bit for the guy, really. Because you think whatever happens in his past totally now shapes the way everyone sees him. I was chatting to Philip this morning and he was saying the boos in the stadium were so loud that they drowned out the announcer. What, how that guy is perceived will forever shape how he's hurt and how he's seen. Your reputation affects how people see you, and the same was true for Paul. Paul knows that if he is discredited, if his ministry is seen as a failure, then the gospel message that he loves and proclaims will be discredited at best, or abandoned at worst. And so he's not prepared to let that happened. And so he wants to show the Thessalonians what a successful ministry actually looks like. And we see in verses 1 to 12 that a successful ministry is a ministry that pleases God. And we see, I think, three, three characteristics of a ministry that pleases God. So firstly, the gospel is proclaimed with integrity. If you look down at verses 3 to 5, you can 
begin to imagine some of the accusations that Paul might have been having to defend himself against. People saying to the New Thessalonian converts, you can't trust Paul. He used flattery to trick you because he's greedy. He just wants to lie in his own pockets. Oh, you can't trust Paul. His understanding of, of God is full of errors. You can't trust that guy. But of course, Paul wants to say here that nothing could be further from the truth. He, he didn't have to put on a mask to cover up his greed. He had no reason to try and trick the Thessalonians to make them think that the gospel was more attractive than it actually was. He never used flattery. His, his message of sin and grace was the opposite of flattery. Paul proclaims the gospel with integrity. And he did that because, verse 4, the gospel didn't belong to him. It was God's gospel that had been entrusted to him. A ministry that pleases God is one where the gospel is proclaimed with integrity. Secondly, a, a ministry that pleases God is one where God's people are loved and encouraged. Paul was more concerned to love than he was to receive love. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a mother caring for a little children. One of the great things about being part of a church family is uh, we seem to have this steady stream of new babies, new life coming into the family. It's wonderful. And it's wonderful to see the, the relationship that a mother has with a baby, a love that you can't describe. And it's wonderful to see that love grow as the child grows. Paul says, that's how we were with you when we came to you. Paul was gentle like a mother, but Paul loved and shared life with the Thessalonians, verse 8. Now, Paul wasn't one of these preachers who took to the stage and then disappeared back to the green room afterwards where all the goodies were, you know, enjoying some pampering and chill time, occasionally popping out the front to sign a few autographs and receive the adulation from the crowd. Paul's ministry wasn't like that. Paul shared life with those he served. He would get his hands dirty. He would get involved in the mess. He'd get stuck in with people. And one of the ways he did that was, verse 9, toiling like a labourer. We realise uh, in uh, the beginning, verse 6, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. As an apostle, someone directly commissioned by Christ, given a ministry, Paul would have been entirely within his rights to ask the church to cover his costs, to provide for him. But he doesn't want to be a burden on the church, and so he labours, he toils, he, he works hard to pay his own way. On top of, alongside of all his preaching and proclaiming of the gospel, Paul toils and labours. verse 11 and 12, Paul encouraged and urged like a father. You know, sometimes dads just need to have one of those chats, don't they? Maybe you've been on the end of one of those. Paul's love was an encouraging love, a, a comforting love, but it was also a challenging love, an urging love, urging the Thessalonians to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. 
and glory. A ministry that pleases God is one where, God, is one where God's people are loved and encouraged. And thirdly, it's a ministry where the calling of the gospel is modelled. Verse 11. One of the themes of this letter that hopefully we'll see over the next few weeks is that God's people might be found holy and blameless when Christ returns. You see that in Paul's prayer in chapter 3, verse 13. And just flick over the page to 5.23 as well, where Paul prays this, where God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body be, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a big, big theme, it's a big encouragement. Live holy and blameless lives so when Christ comes back, you are ready for him. But Paul doesn't, pre- doesn't preach without practicing. Paul models what he asks the Thessalonians to do. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Someone was um, telling me about a youth worker at a, another church who split up with his wife. And before the couple were divorced, um, some of the youth suspected that the youth worker was having an adulterous relationship with someone else. And they confronted him about it, but denied it. He denied it. And a few months later, he admitted that he was, and his lies were exposed. And that was hugely damaging for some of the people in that church, particularly those who were close to him, those who looked up to him as a leader. That's one example. There's plenty more. It's hugely damaging to God's people when a minister of the gospel's life doesn't match up to their message. A ministry that pleases God is one where the calling of the gospel is modelled. Now, let's just stop and pause. Let's remember why Paul is telling us all these things. Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to think that his ministry was a failure because he wants them to think and trust the gospel that he preached. And so what he's doing is he's showing the Thessalonians and us what successful ministry looks like. And success equals a ministry that pleases God. Success is not a ministry that pleases man. Success is about being faithful. It's as if Paul writes to the Thessalonians Thessalonians, that he longs to see, he longs to be back with, and he says to them, remember the gospel and how I proclaimed it to you with integrity. Remember my love and my care and my toil, my labour for you. And remember how my life modelled the gospel. Remember my words, my love, my life and how I was faithful. And so don't believe what you hear from others. Success is not a ministry that pleases man. Success doesn't equal large numbers. Popularity public recognition, praise, reputation, respect. That's not success. A successful ministry is a faithful one. We live in a time where I think to be a Christian is to be seen as part of a failing religion. Church numbers are declining. 
People no longer have a basic belief in God. Atheism is uh, more and more popular, a more and more popular worldview. The church's moral teaching seems outdated and irrelevant. Christians are ridiculed by famous comedians, and Christians around the world suffer acutely. Isn't it at least slightly tempting sometimes to wonder whether we're on board with the right ship? Wouldn't it be better if we were part of the type of Christianity that attracts successful people? A Christianity that the celebs would want to be part of? A Christianity that is popular in the eyes of the world? A Christianity that wasn't seen as a failure? That's the temptation, and so Paul gives us a choice. He asks us this question, he says, what type of ministry do you want to be part of? A ministry that might look successful but is unfaithful to God's, or a ministry that might look like it's failing, but is faithful to God. He says, that's the ministry that I did among you, and it wasn't a failure. In God's eyes, a tiny village church with a handful of people and an unknown pastor could be far more successful than a mega church with hundreds in the congregation and a famous pastor known around the world. And just in passing, I don't think this is the main point in the passage, but just in passing, I wonder how our ministry compares to Paul's. We're all involved in ministry, either formally in a role in church, or informally just with other people. How do you measure your success of what you do? Do you look to the praise of men? Or do you look to the praise of God to judge whether something's been successful? Do you seek to proclaim the gospel with integrity? Do you love and encourage God's people? Do you do life together with the church family here? Getting your hands dirty, encouraging, but also lovingly spurring one another on, challenging each other, saying the hard thing. And do you model the gospel in your own life? that is what successful ministry looks like. Successful ministry is a ministry that pleases God. If that's what verses 1 to 12 show us, then perhaps verses 13 to 16 show us what a response that pleases God looks like. If in verses 1 to 12, Paul says, look at the way I did ministry in order to know that my ministry was successful. It's as if here in the second bit he's saying, look at yourselves. Look at yourselves to know that my ministry among you was successful. Paul says, my ministry wasn't a failure amongst you because the gospel hasn't failed. I see it in you. And the Thessalonians are a model example of a response that pleases God. Verse 13. We also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not of the words, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. They received and accepted the word of God. Verse 14, they became imitators of God's churches in Judea. In other words, they copied the example of faithful brothers and sisters living out their faith. And verse 14. Paul thanks God for them because you suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. 
It says, look, you Thessalonians, you were willing to suffer for Christ just as Christ himself suffered. Say, look at the way you live. We praise God for you because you're a sign that my ministry among you was successful. You don't look big or strong or powerful. Your reputation in your city is ruined and you face suffering. But that is what it means to live a life worthy of the calling of the kingdom of God. It's suffering now, it's glory later. So Paul says, keep going. And he says, in order to keep going, you will need to be confident of God's justice. Verse 15 and 16. Paul talks about the Jews and he says they will continue to displease God and be hostile to all men in their effort to keep the gospel from going out to the Gentiles. The Jews at the time, they didn't want the Gentiles to be saved. But Paul says God sees their sin and they will face his wrath. And so despite the suffering that Thessalonians will face, they must entrust themselves to God and to his justice. So a successful ministry then is one that seeks a response that pleases God, not a response that pleases men. A successful ministry encourages people to suffer now, to receive glory later, and to live lives worthy of the calling they've received. So let me finish with this question. Do you have gospel success in mind for your life? What are your expectations for life as a Christian? If you want success in the world's eyes, then let me be honest with you, following Jesus is not a very good choice. If you want to please men by being part of something cool, something acceptable, something popular, something that enhances your reputation with your friends, then following Jesus really was a terrible choice. If that's the type of gospel we want to believe in, then we'll end up following some of these false teachers, some of these people who are threatening the church in Thessalonica whose ministry is not faithful to God. But boy, does it look successful. If we are to follow Christ, then we have to recognise that we will not please men, but we can please God. For God has spoken his gospel word to us, and in that word is salvation. And through Jesus' suffering, that salvation has been achieved. And so Paul says to us this evening what he says to the Thessalonians. He says, look, I praise God, I thank God for you, but keep going. Keep striving. Keep accepting the word of God as it is the word of God. Keep imitating Christ. Keep suffering willingly and entrust yourselves to God's justice. And 3 verse 13, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for the reminder this evening of what successful ministry looks like. We're sorry for when we um, look for success in the wrong places, when we misunderstand what success looks like. And so we pray this evening that you would help us to respond like the Thessalonians did, to continue to receive your words, to imitate Christ, to be willing to suffer. And we pray that you would strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen.